All right, worship. Let's dive back into this. Everybody say worship. Worship. Amen. I hope I don't spill this one. I'm going to leave this up here. If you remember, we are talking about the postures of worship. It was, uh, it was an awesome thing. Forgive me. My wife tells me I've got these mannerisms, but my, my head's about to explode, so I'm going to rub my eyes a few times too. Everybody cut me a little bit of slack today because I'm not thinking about it. I'm just... Uh, anybody here have sinus issues this time of year? Amen. So have a little bit of mercy on me if I do that. I'm not thinking. I'm just reacting. Um, but the postures of our worship, and this morning was such a great example we did some very powerful songs this morning. That last song that uh, Brandon Weaver sang, Our Savior King, you know, it was kind of a slow, it kind of, you got to kind of work yourself into get, getting going, but once we get going, man, it's such a powerful declaration of our heart to God. I love you, Lord. I worship you. I give my life. I am going to do this for you, God, because you are so good. And in the midst of that, as we were starting to build in spirit, build in atmosphere, even building in music, the hands started going up. The shouting started happening. There there, there started to be response in worship. That's what we're looking for. That's what God's looking for, is your response to him and how great he is. When you in worship can really grab hold of how great he is, when that clicks you're going to have a hard time subduing yourself. And God says, don't. God says, dance before me with all your might. Show the whole world what you're, what you're really experiencing. You show them, I'll show them that I love you. You confess me, I'll confess you. You acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge you. So as this starts to swell up in you, man, release Somebody shout, somebody clap, somebody do something. Don't leave worship without doing something. Worship is movement. Again, we saw last week that when when they use the word worship in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it normally has to do with an act of the body. Our hands, our feet, our clapping, our voices. Last week we looked at the first one, the bowing of our head. That's going a little bit farther, almost even laying prostrate before the Lord. But how important it is to bow your head. Think about what it means to bow your head. You know, as I grew up, the pastor always said, everybody close your eyes and bow your head. And I never knew why, I just did it. You know, does it get on anybody's nerves? I've even had people since I've been pastor for uh, eight or nine years Someone's asked me, don't ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm like, why? Well, we've just grown up that way and we just don't like to do it. Well, why? It's scriptural. It's scriptural. And don't, don't, let it, don't get hung up. When the worship leader says, raise your hands, you think, ah, oh, he's not going to make me raise my hands. Why? Put your big boy pants on and raise your hands. This worship leader, this, if you go into another church, you go into a situation where the person's trying to lead you into the presence of the Lord and they feel led to give a command, man, do it. Pastor tells me to bow my head, bow your head. 
says don't look around. Why? He's trying to protect those that want to raise their hands. Trying to make it sensitive. Why not? We, I think ultimately we have a problem with authority. It's why we don't want to bow our heads. It's why we don't want to raise our hands. Is we ultimately have a problem with authority. I can tell you, growing up, I am a person who had a problem with authority. Why is that so funny? It's the truth. I was a rebellious kid. All I had to do was my authority tell me what not to do. All of a sudden, that's all I wanted to do. I didn't even think I wanted to do that until I got told I wasn't supposed to do it. I had a problem with authority. But bowing our heads, think about, think about what it means to bow your heads. It's humbling yourself. It's coming under. It's saying, I, re- I resign. I give. It's a great thing to bow your head, especially before the Lord. Amen? So today, let's start looking at our hands. Everybody's got them. Our hands play an important part in worship. David's response to God's loving kindness in Psalm 63 shows it to us here. He says, Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift my hands in your name. David again describes a similar act of worship in Psalm 141. Let my prayer be set before you as an incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Next week, I want to warn you, we are going to be going deeper into just raising of our hands. Because do you see this? The raising of our hands isn't just you raising your hands. David relates it to the evening sacrifice. I think there is something very deep in this scripture right here. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Let the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And then one other different position of the hands. Psalm 143. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you in a thirsty land. Lifting up our hands is an act by which we acknowledge God's majesty. Lifting up our hands acknowledges God's majesty. Lifting up our hands acknowledges God's majesty. We can sing it and we can show it. Our worship is not just with our voices. Our worship is also with our bodies. You know, it, 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 it doesn't take much effort to read words off a screen. What I mean is in your spirit. But it takes effort to get your hands in the air. It becomes visible. All of a sudden, you stick out. Hey, babe, will you raise your hands? See, she sticks out. Doesn't she? All of a sudden, everybody looks at her. You can put them down. Thank you. But that took effort. Probably embarrassed her a little bit. But when we spread out our hands, have you ever done this to your child? What does that mean when you do this? And they just run. You remember those days? Ah. Oh. You know, there, there's, different, there's different positions in our worship. This is a desire to receive from God. This is surrender. 
What does it mean when you do this? I got a question. I need an answer. You know, it means something, doesn't it? If you ever had your child go to school for the first few times and they're sitting at the dinner table, next thing you know they got their hand up and I'm like, honey, you don't have to raise your hand at home. It's okay, it's what they've been programmed. They've been programmed appropriately. Scripture tries to program us to the correct worship. The problem is we resist. It's just to put your hands in the air. But we don't. Why? Albert Durer's praying hands. Um, depicts prayer, very familiar sign, hands together, showing a sign of prayer. More than a picture of supplication than worship. Nevertheless, he does not focus on the lips or on the face of the one praying, but on the hands. Another way we worship with our hands is in Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. One thing that's amazing is it's easy to do this in different settings other than in church. But I've been in a church where if someone clapped their hands, they had a meeting after service to talk about how they were going to stop the clapping of hands. Ridiculous. Ridiculous, And I'm not going to go into different churches and that sort of thing. Listen, we've got our own issues. The last thing I want to do is start pointing fingers. But when the Lord moves in your heart, we are to move. We are to react. If it means you shout, then you shout. If it means that you're to run around the church, oh, man, are we going to be runners? Well, I don't know. Are we? Let's, let's, be, let's be worshipers. Worshippers is going to get kind of um, active. I think David was probably a runner. I think he was a leaper. I think he was a musician. I think he made a lot of loud noises. I think he didn't care who was looking. I think he risked breaking every rule by going into the presence of the Lord and sitting before him and eating the bread in front of the Lord. Do you remember him going and sitting before the Lord? He wasn't a priest. But it was a picture of the new covenant. David risked everything to worship the Lord. That's what we're looking for, Church on the Hill, is that we risk everything to worship the Lord. Clapping our hands, we acknowledge the awesome majesty of our great King. By joining this with a shout of triumph, we proclaim his total victory. From time to time, I've been presented uh, present in a meeting. Um, I've already said that. I, I got ahead of myself here. Shouting. Now, you shouldn't shout in church. What do you mean? There's going to be shouting around the throne of God. There's going to be clapping. There's going to be casting off crowns, I think it's going to be loud. I think it's going to be louder than you could ever imagine. And you're not going to need earplugs. It's going to be music to your ears. 
You know, we go to a ball game and we couldn't care less who's around us losing our voice, just shouting like crazy. But we kind of put on our, our, our proper outfit when we come to church. This should be as good as any, I would say Tennessee football game, but that wouldn't be a good, uh, I would say Vanderbilt, but I just can't say it. I just won't do that. And I won't say any other schools because I don't like any of them, but uh, Tennessee Tech. Why are we so free in our encouragement, in our exaltation everywhere but in church? If we only did it in one place in our whole life, this is the place. This is the place to be excited. You know, that song, Save Your King Again, is about our hope. Tennessee football gives me no hope for my marriage. No hope for my job tomorrow. Even though it's fun. And listen, I'm a huge football fan. But my hope is not in that. My hope is in Christ. And it is worth getting my hands in the air. Who cares what the person beside you thinks? My hope is not in them. My hope is in Christ. There is something about, some of the most weird times for me is when I'm by myself and I got my hands in the air. Like, this is kind of weird. The Lord says, that's not weird at all. Get your hands up. This is a sign of surrender. Whenever somebody points a gun at you, what do you do? I give up. You can see my hands. I'm not going for anything. I'm not a threat. I give up. Getting down on my knees and raising my hands. What does it mean? I'm totally at your mercy, God. And I view you as the one over me and the one worthy of worship. Not me. Let me lower my head that your head may be higher. Let me in my spirit be where I am in my flesh. Lord, I'm, I'm coming under you in my flesh. Let me come under you in my spirit. Let me acknowledge you. And Lord, I'm here to receive from you. I have nothing to offer you. There's nothing I have to offer you. I am but filthy rags coming under your authority, desiring to receive from you. I clap my hands, I shout with my voice. I leap and I dance before you. Second Chronicles chapter 6. Got ahead of myself, clapping, shouting. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Now, don't get ahead of yourself. This is the king. This is the leader who out in front of everyone spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had set it in the midst of the court. And he stood on it, knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. The king got on his knees before the people. 
He says, for this reason, I bow to my knees to the Father of our our Lord, Jesus Christ. Total submission to the Lord as the leader to say, Solomon's kingdom, we come under the authority of the Lord. Ultimately, the whole universe will make this act of submission to the Creator. Isaiah chapter 45 says, I have sworn to myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. You know the scriptures, every knee shall bow, bow, every tongue will confess. And in Philippians 2.10, Paul reveals that this act of submission will go specifically to Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. At the name of Jesus, I want to encourage you, you will do this. Whether it's by your own um, choice or by the choice taken away from you, you will do it. I encourage you to choose now to come under the authority of the Lord and to worship the Lord now. Worship the Lord now. If you remember, as I started this whole series on our posture, it is victory signals. It is victory. You are getting in a position of victory, not in defeat. Being on your knees with your hands in the uh, the air, crying out to God, shouting unto the Lord, dancing with all your might is not an admission of defeat. It is an admission of victory. It is an admission of saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I come under that name. He has given me his name. I am a child of God, and I'm going to show you with my whole heart, with my whole body, with my life, that he is my Lord. What happens then is you start to receive what is due to Jesus, which is victory. You may be in the pit of hell. You may be in the middle of all kinds of circumstances. But at that time, it's just like when, when Peter was falling into the water, Jesus reached out and pulled him out. There is no rescue to you without Jesus. But when you acknowledge and you worship and you give your whole heart to the Lord, his hand never is too short to rescue you. And he never misses it. He doesn't show up and find you dead because he forgot he needed to do it. That never happens. There's a song that Cindy, Cindy uh, Harrell would sing. He's never early, he's never late. He's always right on time. You may think God has missed you. He hasn't. Get on your knees. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Finally, is the whole body. The whole body, which is depicted in the Bible more than any other, to prostrate oneself before God. When we do this, we acknowledge total dependence on God. And we revoke the desire to be independent of God, which promoted the original disobedience of Adam and Eve. And which characterizes the fallen nature of everyone and their descendants. At some time in their life, every great man 
and great woman in the Bible has found themselves flat on their face before God. Twice in Genesis 17, it shows that Abraham fell on his face before the Lord. When the Lord appeared to Joshua outside Jericho, the commander of God's army, Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he was further commanded to take off his sandals. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite with him and his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your foot, for the place you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Both actions, taking off his face and taking off, falling on his face, taking off his face. Falling on his face and taking off his sandals expressed worship. And it was in this position that Joshua received direction from God. It was in this position that Joshua received direction. If we look at it a little bit more contemporarily, the most unconventional act of worship is described in 2 Samuel 6 verse 12. When David had successfully finally brought the ark up from Jerusalem, he danced before the Lord with all his might. Mightily energetic actions that included every part of his body. In this scripture of David dancing, it gives us a warning to those that want to judge someone's worship in a negative way. His wife, Michael, and Michael's dad was Saul. The previous king, Michael watched her husband, David the king, come into the, come into the city dancing, uh, inappropriately dressed in her opinion. And she shared her frustration and her negativism. And because of that, she was barren. She was unable to reproduce. I believe the same thing is for us when we begin to get judgmental of each other, of other churches, of someone's worship. Um, that we can be spiritually barren. That it seems like everything that we do, we can't ever see, seem to get any breakthrough. Worship, church, is a very powerful thing. Um, I feel very passionately about worship. And uh, I probably have been judgmental of some people's worship. And I continually will ask the Lord to forgive me of that. Your worship is beautiful before the Lord. And there may have been some judgmental things done to you that are keeping you from breaking free in worship. I want to encourage you. Risk everything. Risk it all. Great place to worship's in your car. Great place to worship's in the shower. Great place to worship is when you're alone. Great place to worship is here in the church. And listen, we got some kooky people here in this church. I want you to just ask yourself, I wonder if that's me. 
We always want to think, oh, I know who that is. No, you don't. It might be you. I know it's me. I can be just as goofy as anyone else. I cry. I laugh. Sometimes, y'all don't see it up here, but I, just, I, I will just about hit the deck a few times when I'm up here worshiping. I know when I'm worshiping is when something outside of my normal response wants to happen. And I can either choose, do I do it or do I not? Finally, you'll help me out. I think my battery's gone dead. Everybody say spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. God is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. Have you ever given that some thought? I definitely don't want to worship and it just be me doing my own thing. I want to worship according to the way God wants to be worshipped, according to his word. So that means me worshiping in spirit and truth is what he's looking for. So what is he looking for? What does my worship look like? God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The answer in understanding this relationship between these three elements make up the human personality is the spirit, the soul, and the body. Spirit, soul, and body. First Thessalonians says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit is the part of our personality that can make direct contact with God. The Spirit is the part of our personality that can make direct contact with God. The problem is, our soul and our body will fight our spirit. So these three things have to come together. And in order for my flesh to worship, I have to come against everything in me. Everything in the world to get my, my flesh to worship. Because... In, in the natural, my natural person, I wouldn't forgive. Would you just forgive? When someone does you wrong, is your first thought to forgive? No. When someone pokes you, uh, we had, a, we had a, a Christmas party last week, and I was wanting Miss Eve uh, Hargro, uh, Musgrove plays the accordion. And I beg her to play a polka. And she, she is a beautiful, classically trained uh, accordion player. Just amazing. But she doesn't play polkas. Like, what is wrong with you? Any accordion player's got to play a polka. So I have a little wise person come up to me and poked me in the belly. Like I'm the, you know, whatever, the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? Well, I gave you a polka. I'm like, <laughs> That, that was hilarious. Thanks a lot for that. You know, my flesh is like, your flesh wants to react to pain. I'm sorry. <laughs> you see, her flesh didn't want to forgive, but her spirit did. No. It was funny. You didn't upset me at all. It's just a good example. Um, 
Fighting through the spirit and the flesh is so hard. It is so hard. It takes the spirit of God to do that in you. Spirit, soul, and body. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, but he who is joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. The key to getting your spirit in line is to get yourself connected to God. You cannot get your spirit in line without being connected to God. You cannot worship the Lord in spirit and truth without being connected to God. How do we get connected to God? It says, if you'll abide in me, I'll abide in you. The way that we abide in him is by his word, is by his spirit, by his Holy Spirit, asking him to fill us with his Holy Spirit. So I want you to know that your ability to worship is allowing the Lord to work in your life to worship. It's not based on really you at all. It's based on God again. It's based on how great he is and you connecting to him. Out of you connecting to him, out of you really receiving God in your heart and beginning to stir that up and that Holy Spirit beginning to well up in you, you will respond in spirit and truth worship. You see, you get on the, you get on the, uh, what's the cycle? What's the good cycle in love and respect? The energizing cycle? You get, on the, you get on the spirit and truth cycle, and you can't help it. You can't help it. You can't help but worship God when God's really in your heart flowing and moving. And, you, and, and then you come into a setting like this, and you can't hold it in. We'll, we'll close right here with this. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It's a command. We are commanded to worship. We are commanded to lift up his name. We are commanded. It was David's spirit. David's spirit was stirred to bless the Lord and urge his soul to make the appropriate decision. His soul, in turn, had to set his body in motion, primarily his vocal organs, to express the blessing which his spirit was longing to offer. There's so many in the church where their spirit is imprisoned in their body. That, I believe, is what's happened to the church, is we have allowed our spirit to get imprisoned by the flesh. Men, women, young people, you've got to command your flesh. The Word of God is the only thing that can separate between the bone and the marrow, the only thing that can separate between the spirit and the body. You have to command yourself. You're going to come in here and you're going to say, man, I don't feel like raising my hands. You know what? Right then, that's a call. You take control over your flesh. Sin has no power over your flesh. It doesn't. Satan no longer has the power over you unless you give it to him. You've got to command your body to respond according to your spirit. You may be back there in your pew, nobody sees you. 
and you get down on your knees or you raise your hands. Great. I, let me encourage you. Don't come down front. Do it right where you are. If the Lord tells you to come down front, come down front. We got room back in the back. Go back there. It does not have to be a spectacle. In fact, I think the Lord desires it more. It just come right just between you and him. Now, sometimes the Lord will command you to come down front. By all means, come down. This is a free place. We are not, nobody, I'm not trying to say don't come. What I'm trying to say is your worship experience is going to grow right where you sit. My worship experience happened in the sound booth. It happened alone with me, reading my one-year Bible. Where did your worship experience start? Church, next Sunday when y'all come in here together, let's try our best to command our flesh to come under our spirit. Command our flesh to come under our spirit. And if the Lord leads you to shout, you shout. If the Lord leads you to sing out, you sing out. If the Lord leads you to run, you run. We don't have any chandeliers for you to swing from, so you don't have to worry about that. What if the Lord commanded you to raise your hands and you never have? Would you? What if the Lord commanded you to clap at a weird spot? Would you? Let me encourage you that God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of order. It's not going to be out of order. If God commands you to do something, it will be the perfect time for it. Put a little bit of the responsibility on God. And let's make a mistake trying to do what God's calling us to do. Not trying to do what we think is the appropriate thing. Let's let him have some of that responsibility. Amen? Amen. You all stand up with me and let's pray together. Well, Father, we just come into this place acknowledging your majesty, how great you are. Can y'all just take just a moment and acknowledge how great God is? You are so good, God. You've taken somebody who deserved to be in a terrible place. And you have been with us at every turn. We are not who we used to be. We have not gotten what we deserve. Lord, we still struggle and we still have problems, but Lord, you are there. This Christmas season, it says that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. We just acknowledge your majesty and we just worship you, Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. What need do you have today, church? Do you have great need today? I want to encourage you. Step out in faith this morning and let us pray for you. Those that are ministering, come on down. Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Today is the day. 
You know, you may say, Pastor, I've tried everything. I've tried counseling. I've tried books. I've tried going to support groups. I've even tried uh, medication. I've tried everything, but nothing works. I want you to know the answer is Jesus Christ. Make a decision today. Step out of your seat and come down here and pray with us. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Maybe you have a health issue that you need prayer for. Jesus is the answer. Step out this morning. Let us pray with you. And Zach leads us. Let's sing together.